0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock grain and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar, thanks for listening in to another week. We've all heard about the target for a $100 billion agricultural sector by 2030, an ambitious target that isn't that far away But peak agriculture is something you may not have come across before, and our guest today has been doing some research on it. So the concept of whether Australia has hit peak farmland acreage, and he joins us today to chat about what this means for the goal of increasing the value of agriculture. If we can't unlock more land, what strategies and shifts are going to help us get closer to that goal of $100 billion? It's our pleasure to have Michael Whitehead sharing his insights with us today. Michael is, of course, Head of Agribusiness Insights with ANZ, He's a very captivating speaker and has a long history of researching and discussing trends in agribusiness. So thanks to Michael for giving us his time. Some very interesting ideas up for discussion today, so sit tight for this one. And a quick wrap of some market news before we get into it. A new report is confirmed this week the estimates for Canada's crop has been decimated by drought and early heat. No big news stories there, but wheat production estimates are at the lowest in 14 years. Canola is also expected to be down 24% on last year, so there's going to have to be some serious rationing to seek out supply. Estimates of spring wheat in Russia have also been cut. But there wasn't too much of a reaction in the market to that news, so that's suggesting that production risks are factored in. And the wool market was showing a weaker tone across the week again, with buyer sentiment remaining pretty subdued. So AWACS noted that on the final day, there were more positive signs, though, with Fremantle selling last, showing an overall gain for the series. As always, you can head to our reports on the Mercado website for more information and insight on our other commodity markets. Just before I hand over to Michael Whitehead and Robert Herman, though, for all our wool listeners, a reminder that the Wool Connect online conference is on the 7th until the 9th of September. Mark Symes from the Schneider Group spoke with us a few weeks ago about it on the podcast, and there's a great lineup of speakers, so well worth checking that one out. That's it from me today. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Well, welcome, Michael Whitehead. It's uh, it's wonderful to have you along. The reason I actually piqued my interest in making contact back with you again after a long time was this latest ANZ Commodity Insights report. And right at the beginning, in the overview of one of the key points, you make the note that uh, rural land values are booming, and you go on to say. If Australia is going to reach this 100 billion target of agricultural production, what does it mean for land value? So, Michael, two things, but three things. Welcome. What about the 100 billion? And what about land prices?
2: Thanks, Rob, and an honour to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. The 100 billion, the 100 billion is a fascinating, we could call it a finish line in a way, although as a national agricultural sector, we want to keep going past that, but an aspirational figure. As those of us who work in this industry know, it is a challenging figure as we sit here around the sort of in the 60s billion mark at the moment in terms of gross value of production, it's going to take a lot to get there and so much of hitting that gross value of production is based on factors well outside our control world commodity markets in a way we can thank the argentine government in one way i know it sounds strange but when they banned cattle exports that pushed up uh, beef prices in, in a way and that raised things too we can blame the northern hemisphere weather so that gets us to the point where we are with commodity prices being where they are at the moment it is a big step to get to that 100 billion it is going to take a range Range of things that I'm sure we will talk about today, whether it is far more intensive agriculture, higher stocking rates, uh, greater yields in our crops, whether it is uh, changing our crops into more pulses, uh, legumes, uh, other varieties which, which may have greater value than what we're doing. But to come back to your point, what does it mean for land prices? Well, in terms of the aspiration of reaching there, agriculture is becoming more sophisticated. We know that. We've all been in it for decades. We're enthusiastic about it. And it's not just those of us and those on the land. It's the investors out there who finally discovered it. We can talk about when agriculture was discovered by the investors. My own theory is 2008, and we'll come back to that. But they are in there. They are also bringing their thoughts, their practices as well. They will continue to push up the output and push up the sophistication and also increase the efficiencies there. So your input costs or your management costs are less. But at the end of the day, what impact does it have on land prices? It will mean that land continues to be in demand that it continues to be a safe investment, that uh, it will continue to put that upward pressure on there. So while the growth itself may slow at some point, and it will differ region by region, sector by sector, it looks like the connection between the two will be strong.
1: Now, I'm fascinated in, um, in the 100 million target, 100 billion target. I, I think it's a, as you, you point out, it's it, maybe it's a finish line, but the. The way we've increased and improved our um, output over the last couple hundred years is we've actually opened up more land and and got more acres to farm. Now, I know you've been doing some work on a paper and you come across, I think the term is, we've reached peak agriculture. Do you just want to elaborate on that a little bit, Michael?
2: Absolutely. Look, it's fascinating. All of us in agriculture, and particularly those of us who look at the numbers, we go over history a lot. And and I have a shelf of agricultural history books, and particularly in Australian agriculture, if we go back over the decades and the centuries as well, You look for trends, you look for the growth, and then you look at what you can forecast going out of that. In Australia, it's interesting in a way because we've gone through quite distinct periods, uh, whether it was the growth of sheep, whether it was the soldier settlement period. And I think arguably that's something that we are still experiencing the legacy of the soldier settlement period, whether it's the the green revolution, so to speak, uh, fertilisers, particularly in the 1960s, But where we are now, and particularly if you look at the charts with grain acreage and all cropping acreage, with cattle numbers and with sheep numbers back over the last 10 years, despite the fact there's been the crop volatility in a way, those 10 years have seen flatter growth in those three numbers than we have just about ever seen in Australian agriculture. And you could argue in a way that if cropping is set between, say, 20 to 25 million hectares, if sheep have sat around that mid-60s to mid-70 million number, way down from their previous peak, but sat there stubbornly and sat there increasingly optimistically, and cattle, and with all the impacts in the drought, have sat above that sort of mid-to-high 20 million mark where the rebuild is heading, then perhaps that, and when you divide Australian ag into those big three, and that's not counting cotton and sugar and others, but divided into those big three, that may, may well be where they sit. It's important with cropping to say that is acreage, that is not production, because while we see cropping acreage sit flat, we continue to see production levels and yields going steadily up and steadily up. What's the implication? We should always look into what's this mean for the country and for the producers and everybody in the supply chain. It means that competition for that finite amount of cropping cattle or sheep land will be strong. It means that we will see increasing sophistication, but also reducing concentration risk by people running those operations. An increasing mix of uh, sheep and cropping operations, particularly out west. An increasing mix of sheep and cattle operations over in the wetter country, over in the east. So that will continue to happen. But but once again, it focuses the investment here and it focuses the need to continue to enhance what we do. How do we grow hardier sheep? How do we run more cattle? How do we put more efficiencies in there? And the very big thing there, which is is the focus of everyone, how do you continue the sustainability side of the whole thing whilst you're continuing to build up your numbers uh, and your return?
1: So you're painting a picture of, um, on the surface, it looks extraordinarily complicated for farming, but we do know that the sophistication and the knowledge and capacity of farmers now is greater than it's ever been. So is the target, if the target can't be can't be achieved by opening up the Nullarbor Plain, um, is it going to be achieved by individual farmers just progressively lifting the value of their output and the value of the output increasing as well in terms of export demand.
2: Absolutely. And it's interesting to talk about individual farmers because one of the trends we continue to see in Australia, if we can boil it down, is buying the neighbours, or you could also call it the revival and the great renaissance of the family farm. You go back to the previous decade. And you look just back to 2010, and you could argue then in the years around that agriculture was in a very different place in Australia. We forget how pessimistic a lot of things were then. People asking why why are we in agriculture? How many people are going to stay there? How difficult it was? And people looking at their futures. What we have seen since then is a real growth in family members actually coming back, so succession working positively, multiple family members buying out the neighbours and hopefully the neighbours can buy a house in town, one by the sea, go on to something else. Um, When we see family members coming back multi-generational, they bring their education, those ideas, the fact, and it's a really important one, that regional centres have grown as well, and they will very much continue this growth as people leave capital cities in COVID. That's meant that spouses and others have found employment, education, great health and everything in regional centres. We've seen the farms build up. We've seen that sophistication. We've seen that enthusiasm. So absolutely, their output is increasing. They are trying new crops. They are coming back to try new things with sheep, with their cattle herds as well. So the output of the individual farms and the sophistication and the efficiencies and the returns, that will increase. Let's take the other side of it and let's talk something like nuts, for example and we are all aware of the investment focus on, say, nut crops or horticultural crops, uh, other opportunities uh, which are outside the mainstream as well. We will continue to see strong returns from those as well as the world, and it's the fundamental one, the basic one continues to need these Australian products. So it's sophistication and its diversity.
1: Well, that's a really good summary, Michael. I think um... I think we're coming from where we've we, we always talk here about prices, and we know that the just generally the commodity prices are very good. And if you watched Landline last week, um, you know it was a fantastic story coming out of the southeast of South Australia, where it talked about grazing, it talked about cattle and sheep and dairy, and everybody, every farmer was happy. Are these price levels at the moment enough? Along with the productivity that you're talking about, the improvements, are they enough to get us to the 100 billion? And I keep coming back to that 100 billion because I'm fascinated by it. I I think
2: a lot of us are fascinated by it. Look, it's out there, and the National Farmers Federation and others do put it out there, and it's great to have a target. Mount Everest was always a target, um, and it took a lot of work to get there it's going to be a very challenging target to get to. But uh, if the sector itself and as a combination of producers, as a combination of industry groups, uh, secondary industry, whether it is meat processors, whether it is grain receivers and importantly government as well, all work together, it is something to keep aiming towards. We shouldn't die in a ditch if it doesn't happen or if it doesn't happen by a particular time. What the aim of agriculture should be instead and Australian agriculture particularly is to make as many parts of this this giant chain move to the optimum level they can. And that comes down to the range of things we've talked about, whether it comes back to long-term sustainability on farms, whether it comes back to uh, long-term returns, meaning that farms are economically sustainable, whether it comes back to making sure that the right regional centres continue to grow and work two ways between them. But it's offshore as well. It comes back to making sure that we have the right trade agreements, trade relationships The right mix of markets, not that we have too few, so getting shut out of one could hurt us in a way, but that we're always maintaining the great relationships we have, whether with Japan, Korea, China, US and other markets, but looking for new ones. So so the $100 it's great to aim towards, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all.
1: Now, in your last point you made there, you mentioned the word sustainable, and I note in your... um, you're a very good report, Michael, and I uh, a note you're the lead author, so I'm very impressed with that, that ANZ has put out. Um, you make a point about cotton, and you use the words sustainable with cotton. And if we went back 15 or 20 years ago, that cotton was at real risk of being run out of the country. So, Michael, just tell us a little bit about the – and we don't get a chance to talk much about cotton on Commodity Conversations, but we've now got you here, so let's – Let's try and learn a little bit about
2: cotton while you're here. Um, Look, thanks, Rob. And I have to say, with our report that we put out, it is absolutely a team effort. I'm just one of the authors and my colleagues, Maddie, Brian, Eswadi, Adelaide, um, all do a fantastic job on it. Um, And they're all great experts in what they do. Cotton, you are absolutely right. Cotton is one of those crops which... First of all, relatively new to Australia. Um, We we forget not that long ago when there wasn't cotton here, like canola and other things as well. And cotton has been through its establishment process and its challenges uh, in terms, in one way, as you emphasize with its reputation and a perception out there perhaps of what crops it was competing with in those cotton regions, particularly in New South Wales, what its water usage was, Uh, how it would cope in in times of drought and what it was competing with too. You would argue that the cotton industry has been an admirable industry. And and we in agriculture do look from industry to industry and see how well they as a whole have worked together to continue to enhance their ways, improve their ways, uh, whether it's efficiency, sustainability, water usage, inputs, Uh, their, their perception as well, their reputation management, and cotton's done that very well. We have a cotton sector, as you've read, that going into 2022, the conditions are as good for cotton as they are for most other crops in Australia at the moment too. The weather is optimal, the world markets are terrific, everything is falling into place. You raise the word sustainability about cotton. Cotton has done very well in Australia to show how well it utilises the the water it has, how well it swaps between cotton planting and other plantings in times when the water is tight, but also to show that it is very much a natural crop. And and fibres can be a very competitive market. If fibres were, how to say, a wrestle between different players, You've got cotton out there with its own attributes. You've got the wool industry out there and you've got that artificial fibers or polyester and synthetic fibers out there as well. And what cotton has done very well is to show the world and to consumers and to manufacturers as well that it is a natural product. And when you put that up against some of the products which may be made from non-natural products as well, it absolutely has its own attributes. So so it's gone through that process in a very good way.
1: Let's talk about another crop from the north that um, I'll be interested in your comments on, and we, we haven't discussed this. I'm talking to Michael Whitehead, who's the ANZ agricultural economist. Is that how you like to be explained? Sounds good. Um, and we're really looking at a few um, commodities that we don't often look at here on Commodity Conversations. Tell us about sugar, Michael. I mean, that... Gets in the news a bit. Um, I imagine if you're a sugar farmer, uh, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but uh, you tell me.
2: Look, if you're a sugar farmer right now, you're thinking good things um, at this point in 2021. Once again, sugar, and once again, as we know, in agriculture, like everything else, so many things are beyond your control. That's not just the bad things when drought happens or when there's world oversupply, but when something happens somewhere else in the world makes things go your way. And right now, sugar prices are in a very good place. Uh, Sugar prices are going up um, and we're seeing growers lock in for two years. Why is this largely happening? Because of the weather in Brazil. And whether the impact on wheat and canola and other things is because of the weather in Canada and in the US and Russia, sugar is often very much to do with what's happening in Brazil, sometimes Thailand as well. So because Brazil is seeing an outlook for production being way down there, the world wants sugar, the world is prepared to pay for sugar, it is prepared to lock it in long term. Sugar absolutely does face reputational challenges, but all of agriculture is a tough business. We're all used to that. That's why there's not that many people in it. Um, And those who are in it uh, are, are used to the adversity. Sugar has been up against some things. People talk about the health issues of sugar, but sugar plays a very important role. It is a base ingredient in so many things, not just in Australia, but globally as well. And it will continue to be that base ingredient. The other thing about sugar, and non-sugar agricultural people in Australia may not be overly aware of this, but depending on where where global oil prices go, a reasonable amount of Brazilian sugar then goes into ethanol. And when that happens, less sugar for the world to eat, more sugar needed out of Australia. Just to finish up on sugar, because it's very interesting, and it's a a long way from a lot of uh, Australian producers if they're not in that part of the world, Like every agricultural sector, change is not something that you should be scared of and long-term change. We all adapt. Whether we're changing our sheep operations from meat to wool or wool to wheat, whether we're going from running just sheep, just cattle, just crops into mixed farming operations, whether whatever, we're trying something new. And it may well be the fact that some sugar land changes into horticulture in the longer term because the horticulture demand will be there and it will strengthen domestically and offshore as well. So what are we likely to see with sugar? We are likely to see that strength for the time being. We are likely to see some land, whether it changes into avocados, for example, whether it changes into citrus. Uh, We may see people either adapting their own farms to that or selling out and investing somewhere else. So good at the moment, going through change, but change will always happen.
1: Well, it's terrific today to be talking to Michael Whitehead from ANZ on Commodity Conversations. Now, Michael, uh, we know a little bit about your background. You come from a lovely part of Western Victoria with big red gums. And I know from previous conversations that um, you've got a fair farming interest still flowing through your veins and that ambition now I'm going, we finish off usually with a left field question for commodity conversations and um my left field question for you michael is and i know the anz bank would value you highly but what if they gave you 10 million dollars to go and invest in farming where would you invest and what would you produce looking to the future
2: Look, that that is a terrific question, and I have to say it's one that in presenting around Australia uh, when we can travel and when we can present often put to audiences, it's also a question that gets put to me a lot, and particularly with people who have a lazy $10 million sitting around to do it. (laughs) One of the answers I put back to them, and I'll come back to a direct answer to them, is lots of things. You can do well out of lots of things in agriculture. Where's your passion? What do you love? What's going to keep you stimulated long-term? You like cattle? Let's do it in cattle. You like nuts? Let's do it in nuts. What would I do? You are absolutely right. I'm a Western Victorian. I have a passion for Western Victoria and a bias, and I'll be upfront about it. And in looking at industries at the moment, I would have to say that sheep, really the way that market has evolved, the way that global demand for good sheep meat is there and not likely to go away, uh, some of the exciting things that are happening in sheep at the moment, particularly on the meat side, but also with the wool side, as frustrating as they can be and as difficult as they can be, uh,
1: I would probably be looking at doing something with sheep. And I'm tipping that the property would have some red guns on it. And Michael... Is that right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Red gum. So look,
1: I want to thank you very much for coming on board. Um, you've really touched home with me as well, because when you do get off that ten million, ask for twenty, and I'll come along and go farming with sheep with you. Thanks very much. Anybody who wants to know more about the ANZ insights, they're easily found on the on the internet. Um, I recommend them. Thank you, Michael, and we look forward to having you again on Commodity Conversations at some stage.
2: Thanks very much, Rob.
0: Thanks for tuning into another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it around to your network and also leave a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next time, have a great week.